Namaste, and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast, where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, and I am exuberant and delighted to have intuitive tarot reader and psychic advisor Michael McQueen with us today. At the age of 12, he developed a very special relationship with the saints and angels who continue to guide him today and who led him to graduate from St. John's University in Queens, New York with a degree in theology. He is a master tarot card reader like no other, and I am thrilled to have him on the Modern Mystic podcast today. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Kilkenny. I'm so excited to be here today and to be able to share with everybody. Mm, Well, Michael, you are such a deeply committed modern mystic. And so right out of the gate, I wanted to ask you, what does that mean to you to be a modern mystic? What it means to me to be a modern mystic is to be connected with the essential oneness and unity of the universe. It's finding that the sacred and the mundane really are one in the same thing. It doesn't matter if we're doing meditation. It doesn't matter if we're praying. Um, We can find that sacred place. We can find that divine connection, whether it be we're in our kitchen and we're preparing a meal, whether we're cleaning that kitchen, whether we're out taking a walk in nature, um, that we can find that unity in both the divine and the mundane in our daily lives. And that's what it means to me to be a modern mystic. Mm, I love that so much. Thank you for highlighting that non-dual perspective, just like modern and mystic aren't oxymoronical, right? That's why I termed and coined this podcast and these conversations as such. So that oneness, that uni, like you said, in the universe, uni, we have unity. And how can we move on that path towards finding more integration, more wholeness through our mysticism in this modern day life. And and we have tools to help us do that, right? And so I wanted to start right away and just dive in about this amazing technology of tarot that really isn't as out there and as woo-woo as people might think. It's grown incredibly in popularity the last few years. It's something I've been working with for decades. And For those perhaps tuning in because they're spiritually curious, but yet grounded in their disposition typically, let's talk about how tarot is rooted in tradition and how it is practical. Could you please elucidate maybe a little history about the card reading and how really it's been something that's been done in various cultures around the world since time immemorial, correct? Yes. So if we look at human history, we can see that divination is a part of every culture, every age, every religious system that is known to man. There's been always some type of divinatory practice, whether it's, you know, we're in ancient China and we're reading um, the cracks on 
um, overheated tortoise shells, um, or if we're in um, Egypt um, looking at the Book of Thoth, or if we're in um, Greece and we're thinking of the Oracle of Delphi, there's something in the human psyche, in the human experience to want to get in touch with higher knowing, to get in touch with the divine that is within us and also the divine that exists in the universe and to seek answers and information and guidance from that voice of the divine and that voice of the universe that exists at the base of our being and also in all of creation. So we look at tarot. First, we look, there's very little historical evidence of divination with cards outside of the European context. But we know that um, tarot, that playing cards, not necessarily tarot, but playing cards developed in China, Saudi Arabia, and also in Egypt, that there was playing cards in these places and through Egypt. Um, tarot cards entered the European frame. And so we have the playing cards Tarachi that come in southern Italy, and we see Tarachi games being played. And what Tarachi was was a game of storytelling. It was using these archetypes to tell stories um, and basically outbest your opponent in a story, which is a very Italian thing to do if you know any Italians love to tell stories. And so... You know, it's the storytelling aspect. And then somebody said, hey, we can use these archetypes and the storytelling method to be a divinatory tool. We can use this to reach into um, the psyche. We can use these to reach the divine that's within us. And also the divine is in the universe. And so we see in the Italian playing card field, we look at Tarachi being used for divination. We look at Scopa, which is a very a popular Italian playing card game, being used for divination. And even in the more Christian folk magic understanding of cards, we begin to see holy cards um, with images of saints and angels being used for divination also. And as the cards spread to the rest of Europe, we see this development in different occult systems um, in France and in England, developing that even further. We think of groups like um, the Golden Dawn. Um, we look at the Marseille Tarot used in France, which eventually becomes a divinatory deck that's used mostly in France, which then leads to the development of the writers, um, the writer Waite Smith. Um, deck that we're so accustomed to these days. Mm, so helpful to contextualize tarot for us. And I love what you said about storytelling, because that's part of you know what we do as modern beings. And that's part of the groundedness of the tarot. Like we as a society mostly watch Netflix or read books or go to psychologists and talk about our stories, or if we're lucky to have people in our lives we can tell our stories to. In doing so, we get reflected back to us wisdom, right? Yeah. And as you spoke of so beautifully, that wisdom that lives at the base of our being, and then, of course, that same wisdom that exists in the curriculum of life, right? And sometimes we have access to sourcing it from within, or friends, or you know, even again, the stories we watch or read, 
we are all the characters in the story. And so we watch a series and one of the characters reflects back to us something within ourselves. And right. That's why we're so, I think interested in theater and film and the power of art itself. And same thing, whether you go to the psychologist or you speak with a loved one about your own story. And sometimes that wisdom within ourselves we need support or getting other strategies and technologies to help us reflect that wisdom to ourselves is very empowering. So it's not just about going to a reader and getting information from them, but like a really skillful reader like yourself helps us unpack the story and acts as a mirror as all of the greatest teachers and guides and helpers do. Exactly. I like to say always that a good tarot reader and somebody that's a very mindful tarot reader is that they're not going to dictate to the client, well, this is what needs to happen and this is what's going on and this is what's going to happen. Um, Really, a good reader is going to say, you know, this is the snapshot of the energy where we are in the present moment. And it's going to help the quarant, the person coming for the reader, the reading, really take back that power for themselves. If this is the trajectory that we're on, you know, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to make your life really the best life with this information that I'm reflecting back to you now to make it clear to have the trajectory that you're looking for, for betterment in your own life, in your own journey, and your own story. Mm, So eloquent and so on target. And that's what divination tools, for those listeners who aren't familiar with that term, divination tools, right? They, They act as a bridge connecting the divine wisdom within to our mind slash psyches so we can process and utilize that information to evolve like pendulums like runes tarot cards you know there's so many divination tools and so people can can explore that themselves on their journey um so thank you for contextualizing that the sort of i call og western deck that we we use as modern practitioners is is from this Italian stream. And it, it consists of 78 cards. So we've got the original gangster deck and you alluded to the one that <laughs> that um is so popular, right? Is is the rider weight version. And then we've got innumerable amounts of other decks that are so beautiful and, and and really just incredible iterations. Um, so let's start with the original gangster deck, talk about that and then support people in finding and seeking out other decks, which I think are less intimidating and, and less complicated, but let's go historically in a linear fashion and then broaden out from that. So we've got the traditional OG deck that's 78 cards. Yes. And then, um, also, in that traditional frame, um, we look and look at the Tarot Marseille, which is the French iteration, um, which a lot of the writer Waite Smith Coleman draws off of. And then we have the Thoth Tarot, which was pro- um, popularized by Alistair Crowley and his um, mindset on these things. So these are kind of like your three t- pillars of modern tarot. We have the writer Waite Smith Coleman deck. 
on the Thoth Tarot and then the Tarot of Marseilles, which makes up kind of our groundwork. So even most of our modern kind of spinoff tarots are going to build off of those three pillars. Fabulous. Now, Michael, and we'll put those in the show notes for everyone, those three pillars. Mm -hmm. And thank you for that detail and clarity. Do all three of those pillars have 78 cards? Do all three of those pillars have that um, dividing of 22 cards of those 78? Yes. The major arcana, and then there's 56 others that are typically referred to as minor arcana. Do they all three follow that same structure? So all three of those um, pillars are going to follow that basic structure. Um, The only thing with the Tower of Marseille, the Tower of Marseille will follow a more European, Christocentric understanding of the cards. Um, One of the things that really sticks out to me is the card that we most um, commonly called the High Priestess in most of our modern decks. In the Tarot of Marseille, it will be called um, the Papist or the Female Pope. Um, and mm. and like you know, um, and then the Hierophant will just be called the Pope. Um, so the Tower of Marseille oh, okay. will will have this much more Eurocentric, a much more Christian um, world point in its definitions, even though the cards are basically the same and will have Mm -hmm. basically the same meanings, but they'll have much more of that kind of European Christian bent um, Mm -hmm. of historical tarot. Yeah, but it's a great point because even when you look at the other the other decks, which I'm more familiar with, you know they do really have a medieval slash Italian flavor. Yes. So it's important to know that that's where they come from. And because some people hear of the archetypes, which I can't wait to go through, and these archetypes are a reflection. These cards, each one of them, a reflection of an aspect of ourselves. But people can be like, say what? Like what? Like you're talking about like the chariot? What does that mean for me? Right? And so we'll break that down for people. But just again, to contextualize the rootedness of where they came from, because it's really important not to cultural appropriate things, even if they're not reflective of your quote-unquote outer beliefs, they're still connected to a tradition. So I want to honor that. And then we can, you know, DJ from there, so to speak, our own spirituality, our own divination practices. Okay. So love all this. So excited about this conversation. So as I mentioned, you know, in these more traditional decks, you've got 78 cards. 22 are these major arcana cards. And I feel like they get the majority of airtime. And certainly today we're going to go through them and give them a little more airtime. They're the ones people might be familiar with. The quote-unquote emperor, the high priestess, the fool, the hangman. You know, if you see a TV show, those are the ones you usually see depicted. The remaining other cards, um, the 56, called the minor arcana, I want to speak to those a little bit more and get some of your wisdom. They're each divided, you know, meaning the 56 cards are divided into four suits, which I think is fascinating because we have four suits in our modern day playing cards. And each of these four suits are connected to an element in nature. So let's talk about those suits and um, share any wisdom in the minor arcana, the ones that get less airtime, and then we'll go to the major arcana, and then we'll go to more general decks. It's it's always fascinating to me because like so much emphasis is placed on 
the modern arcana but it's for me um i mean on the major arcana but the minor arcana for me tends to be the most fun like you know i feel that like the real meat of a tarot card reading is really in those minor arcana cards because the minor arcana really are those energies that are flowing in and out of our daily lives where the major arcana are more kind of like these major moments and these major more esoteric maybe even more far out themes of our day-to-day living but like the minor arcana really gets to like the root of things like you know it's really kind of no nonsense it's like you know this is what's going on this is what's going on behind the scenes and i love that about the minor arcana but as you stated um we have the four minor arcana which are broken up into suits of cups of swords of coins and of staffs and each of those deck those um those arcana represent a certain element of nature. First of all, swords represent, represent air, so they represent communication, uh, mental stability, what's going on in our minds, in our mental spaces, what we're thinking about. Um, then we have the cups, which represent water. And the water represents our emotional states, our feelings, our relationships, and how we're dealing with things emotionally in our lives. Um, We have the suit of coins, which represents the earth. And earth is very much about the earthy things. It's about our physical lives, our home lives, and everybody's favorite topic, the money. Like, you know, it's sometimes it's about like getting that coin, like, you know, um, in our business, like, you know, and what we do going forth in business and making money and transactions. And finally, we have staffs, which is fire, and it's fire energy all the way. So it's about our motivations for things, what gets us fired up. And also, even sometimes, even those sexual energies, the staffs can also represent of that fire and that passion that goes into that erotic energy that underpins all human life and all human interactions. Mm, so good. So good. Thank you for for that because it's so exciting. And I want to just even please add a little bit for our listeners that the swords too, as you said beautifully, are associated with, with air. And so from an astrological standpoint, that would be associated with the signs of Aquarius, Libra, Gemini, and also the season of autumn. The cups as you stated eloquently, water, and I love all the downloading you, you gave and wisdom um, for this, are also associated with summer and the astrological signs of Pisces, Cancer, Scorpio, and, and the coins. And sometimes I've heard that uh, category called pentacles, for those listening, is associated, as you said, with Earth. So that would be associated with Taurus, Virgo, Capricorn, winter, and then the the staffs or quote-unquote wands is another term I've heard for that category, would be associated with, as Michael said, fire, the signs astrologically in the Western astrology of Leo, Sagittarius, and Aries, and associated with the time of year, spring. So, so many amazing connections, right? And associations that the listeners can even start to download, right? Like which which energies in your psyche are you affiliated with? 
most closely? Is it water? Is it, you know, are you a cancer? Do you love summer? Right? There's so many, are are you someone who emotes and loves your feelings? Well, then the cups would be really resonant with you, right? So... Right. And I can speak from that from experiences, me being a Scorpio sun and a cancer rising is that those those cups, usually when I see them in a reading for me, I get very excited because that's <laughs> usually how I interact with the world. Um, but something like swords, when they come up a lot, it makes me a little uncomfortable. But, um, but your, your, your growth edge. I love that. Yeah, and I love that. And I love, I had a feeling, I don't know why I said cups, but right where, you know, this is the thing when you're, when you, when you keep good company and company that you, um, you are growing together with as, as you and I have been doing. I love that. You get the downloads of what to say. Exactly. And so, but it's, yes, I think that there's definitely something in the minor arcana for everybody that everybody can relate to and everybody feels comfortable with. But I also think that the minor arcana also introduces those areas of our lives that we need to focus on a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. like us being, um, me being a water sign, very through and through, like sometimes communication, because I feel things so intensely. Like, you know, sometimes I forget to communicate those and I just assume that people are going to feel what I'm feeling. And that's not always the case. So very many times when I have a reading or I pull cards for myself, I get lots of swords because it's like, you know, come on, Michael, open your mouth. Um, And it's like, I think that's true for everyone that the minor arcana will give, will show us where our strengths are, but will also show us where our weaknesses lie and where we need to work more on that element in our lives. Like, you know, maybe we have a good time feeling things, but at the same time, maybe we're not um, as emotive with that feeling as we need to be and be as strong with our true voice and really speaking our truth to people. Or, you know, we could be very good about following our passions um, indicated by the suit of wands or staffs, but we're not good at grounding ourselves um, as it would be indicated in the suit of coins or pentacles. Mm-hmm. Right. So beautiful. Speaking to those places where we need to to grow and evolve and the cards can reflect that back to us. Love it. I feel like also I've heard, and, and I want to keep going with the convo, but I feel like I heard the pentacles were associated with the diamond and the playing cards, the cups for the hearts. I think it was wands, spades is my memory, and the swords, clubs. I have a, a little a younger child and he plays, you know, cards and does magic tricks all the time. And just the other day he, you know, was doing his tricks. And I, I realized I was getting the same suit a lot. And right. I was like, Whoa, even his playing cards. Cause this podcast was on my mind and remembering that connection to even playing cards and how, you know, anything in life can be a divination tool. Right. And we, as humans, you know, have powerful experiences with some things like tarot decks and so then they become the divination tools but even his playing cards i've you know were like showing me (laughs) parts of myself which i thought was pretty interesting and of course that's i my understanding modern day playing cards are connected to tarot as well right yeah so we again like again we have that that general root of playing cards as evolving into what we know as the tarot and it's very interesting that you bring up from um playing cards um because even as an african-american 
in the hoodoo and conjure tradition, African-Americans have used playing cards for divinations for centuries of them being into this country and being enslavement. So I find that connection, even for myself, from an ancestral standpoint of using playing cards for divination also, because that's what my ancestors would have done. They wouldn't have used tarot. Um, They would have used um, a regular deck of playing cards to do divination. So yes, that's definitely... There's definitely a connection there. Mm, So cool. So, so interesting. Thank you for bringing that up. And so for folks who are like, okay, 78 cards, that's overwhelming. I I don't want to go that route. Um, A lot of students and friends of mine, you know, felt that way and went another route. And I think often introducing people to tarot with other decks can be helpful and less overwhelming. So can you talk to talk to our listeners and myself about there are so many decks out there. This is mind blowing, even compared to say like 10 years ago. And yet it can be confusing. So how, if one wants to start diving into tarot, but like the traditional more European slash Christian archetype does not feel resonant or it all just feels so overwhelming. How can someone seek out a deck that's right for them, especially if they're new to tarot card reading? So what I think is, is first of all, is doing your research. Um, I think really doing research on the different decks that are out there on the market um, is one of the best ways and seeing what like archetypes and what artwork and what really speaks to you. Like, you know, like, are you more of an Egyptian spirituality um, type of person like you know there's decks that gear towards that um if you're more if you like mermaids i have a deck that's um all mermaids like you know and you like water spirits and um things like that it's really about research first um and i think for those who are looking for something that these more european archetypes don't um really connect with it's really doing that research and saying well what do i connect with and really clarifying that for yourselves i have a deck um called the urban tarot which is all the all the archetypes are all um metropolitan life it's life living in a city like, you know, and so like, even if you don't have a necessarily religious standpoint, like, you know, you can relate to these archetypes as they play out in a city landscape. So there's lots and lots of options. Um, totally. I have a Philly deck because yes. I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> I have a Philly deck. So it, this is, you know, doesn't have to be um, at all, all fairies and flowers. And, and I have a Philly deck. I have, you know, if you're a naturalist, I have an animal deck. There, there are ones on, if you're an herbalist, there are herbs. If you have, you know, if you're a carpenter, I mean, really, there are so many iterations, which is part of the excitement of being a modern day mystic. And, and like you so beautifully articulated, it's, it's thinking about what resonates with you. What are your passions? What and how do you feel like you connect to spirit and or that inner voice within yourself? Uh, and then that flavor you'll be able to find that. And, and if, even if you, um, you know, Google decks often too, I've had students all of a sudden one just jumps out at them. They go, Oh my goodness. You know, and when you feel excitement, right? Like Rumi said, run towards that, which excites you. And so run towards that with whichever deck you see. And the pictures are so huge. That's something that is amazing to me. And that's something with working with you has really highlighted to me how, you know, the readings aren't just about the, 
the main picture always at all, or even the number associated with the picture. When you look at these cards, they're primarily filled with all sorts of visual detail. And it's so incredible how there are things in a car that I won't see because there's so many things visually going on. And one you know, time I get a card and I'm focused on one thing, but then another time I'll get the same card and then I'll really study the visuals. And then something else totally like a little clock or a little key or a feather will pop out. And that is very resonant in the moment to me. So really looking at the, the visuals and the feeling of the visuals that is elicited dated it within you when you look at the decks is really helpful, I think. Yes. And I think that the other thing with those who especially are feel very intimidated by the 78 cards is take your time. Um, I think it's very important for the longest time when I first started reading tarot, I didn't read with the whole 78 card deck. I only read with the major arcana um, for at least a year or two um, when I first started until I felt more comfortable. Um, to even explore the minor arcana. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like take that time to really get yourself acquainted with if 23 cards sound so much better th- to you than 78, go for it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and take your time to really learn those symbols, to really take time to know those cards. And then, you know, if when that time comes that you feel comfortable with that, then move on to the rest of the deck, you know, and you don't have to incorporate the major arcana either in that you know just take time reading with the minor arcana until you feel comfortable in that also it's i think the one thing that new readers um do very much is that they overwhelm themselves with information and there can be a lot of information and then they feel that they're not getting the best because they feel so overwhelmed by the massiveness of it all but really this is a baby step process and it's getting to learn to know how spirit talks within you and through you and that's a process in and of itself Mm, i really really find that very helpful and and can you even offer some other suggestions for individuals who wish to work with cards daily and are starting their tarot practice as to how to get more skillful because i know one time you had said at a workshop that i was hosting about like just pick a card a day in one deck and get to know that card and kind of reflect at the end of the day what happened in your day and notice the connections to that card. And that was incredibly helpful to me because then when you go to read, it's like, oh, right, that day that I pulled that card innocuously, seemingly, right, I lost my car keys. And then when you're reading for someone else, you might bring up the word key, you know, right. I don't, you know, right? Like, so can you can you speak to that a little bit more and any other hacks, so to speak, of of how to to become more of a skillful card reader for yourself and others? Sure. So when it comes to the daily readings, I think especially for new readers of the tarot, I think that is something that is fundamental. Is kind of like take it a card at a day. And just like, you know, like you may use a picture of that card, like put it on your phone, put it as your background and just see where the themes of that card take you for that day and take you into for that moment. And when you come for that reflection time at the end of the day, you know, where were these themes either, were they very prevalent or were they very lacking? And having that mindfulness about where these different energies and where these different themes play into our lives 
helps us to connect to the card on a deeper level, even more than just um, what we read in a book, you know, or what somebody else says the cards mean. It really helps us to start to really take on those energies as our own and interpret them as our own. Another thing that I really like doing is I like to do energy of the week readings, which if any of our listeners follow me on Instagram, I offer um, in uh, each week, I offer an energy of the week reading where I'll draw three cards and I'll come up with a narrative for those cards. And I'll come up with that narrative and that storytelling. And then at the end of the week, I can look back and see how that narrative played out in my week, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, listening to others, yeah, that's yes. such a good point because there's so many um, people who are offering different iterations of tarot and and you offer such an incredible perspective on it. And that's a fabulous way to learn. Also, what about journaling? I, it never occurred to me to do that. Um, and, and those people like myself who are air, that might be too much for right. <laughs> to actually ground yourself and journal or it could be the best thing in the world for. But if you're a real student of tarot, writing those reflections down at the end of the day friends who are of the pentacle coin mindset and earthy horoscope energy that might appeal to you <laughs> right like having like keeping a little tarot journal that you could just like you know jot down quick insights that you've had related to the cards because we want to really embody our own readings from our own lived wisdom, right? Not from what another person tells me, but what is my experience of this card? Because that is the greatest knowledge. And of course, the greatest gift to others when we're sharing yeah. from our rooted, connected, embodied experience of our own individual experience of, of reality and spirituality. So Michael, are there any more exercises you can offer for folks to deepen their relationship with the tarot, both traditional deck or non-traditional decks? What I think is most important when we're exploring tarot or we're new with tarot is really just to sit down and play with the cards. Like, you know, I think sometimes we get too caught up in being too technical or even being too strict and stringent with this new divination device. But I think it's important to sit down and just play with the cards, come up with your own storylines for the cards, come up with different scenarios for the card and just sit and play with them and feel their energy and how they interact with you. Um, there's no reason to be so constricted with it all the time. So I think it's just really important to sit and just play with it a little bit rather than thinking of it as being something that's so serious and so structured all the time. And mm, love that because when we play, right, that's when we really get into the juicy aspects of our intuition. That's why kids and animals are so intuitive because they're really in that zone of high access to playful energy. So that's so great. What a jewel. Thank you for that. Okay. So you get a deck or you already have one you've been working with at length check. And now you want to begin to develop and deepen your reading. So let's start please at the beginning of this process for I have my own set of personal things that I do before I read cards um, which is a morphing of things that I have been taught and then other practices that I have intuitive 
before I read cards, because this is what mystics do, right? We learn and practice ritual as well as listen to their inner guiding sources of wisdom from both within and without that of masters of experts. And then we create our own rituals in order to receive and download the most potent information. So like a few examples of mine are looking at each card of a deck when it's new to me. And then I make sure I touch each card. So I'm really almost like reading the card, acknowledging the card that I'm going to be working with it, like a physical almost gesticulation, if you will. I often put mantras, blessings into each card. I hold a deck every time I read and then I knock three times. This is something I was taught on top of it to like get any negative energy or even just anyone else's energy out of the cards to clear them as much as possible. So I'm curious if you could offer folks your sort of tarot card reading protocols and speak of anything that you do and recommend when you're reading cards. So before I ever begin a reading, I like to start off with prayer. And I think prayer is so powerful, no matter what tradition you come from, from prayer, even just an acknowledgement of the universe. Prayer, for me, is the starting point of everything. So usually what I do, especially if I know I have clients um, coming later in the day, or anything like that, usually I'll, I'll break out my rosary and I'll pray my rosary before that. And when I sit down um, with the cards themselves, I like to um, first bless the cards. I like to pray over the cards. And I ask my guide, um, St. Lucy, to be with those cards, to touch those cards, to anoint those cards, and also to anoint my own intellect. I pray for my own third eye chakra. I pray for my lips. I pray for my ears. I pray for my heart. And that's so that I'll be able to receive and communicate the messages that people need to hear. And so prayer's a very powerful tool for me in divination. The second thing, um, the third thing I like to do is I like very much like you, I knock on the cards three times to clear out any stagnant energy. And then I have a special oil that I'll go and I'll anoint the cards that I'm going to use that day um, with that oil to put the, to kind of solidify that blessing. And then I'll go ahead and I'll use that oil and I'll anoint my third eye chakra, my ears, my mouth, and my heart again, to solidify that blessing that I prayed for before. When it's a new deck, I really like to um, first look through the deck and get a real feel for it and get the energy of the deck. Um, something that I was taught to do is also ask the deck what it would like to be used for and kind of see what intuition brings into you with that. Um, and that could be very interesting because a deck can communicate with you through its art and through its field. Like, you know, I want to be used for love readings or I want to be used for more practical things or I want to be used towards any multiple types of readings or I'm just general for anything and everything. And that's another way to really intuit with your deck and how it wants to be used and how it would like to be used as a divination tool. And even with that, I really like to dedicate my cards. So I'll put them on my altar. I'll light some incense or some um, some sage or some Palo Santo. I'll light a candle. 
and I'll pray that act of dedication upon the cards that you know that these cards may be used for the highest good of the people who will be coming to me, for all those who will seek out a reading from me, and also for my highest good. Because even um, when I'm reading for others, I always receive something from a tarot reading also for my own life. And so I want that reciprocity, um, even when I'm giving a reading, to come back to me also in parts of my life that I might need to work on also. So that dedication for me is also very important. So I'll then anoint the cards again with holy oil and usually sprinkle them with some blessed water. And usually that's that's where we leave off. Mm, so beautiful, honey. And just completely honor and um, and awe of just your really deep understanding of when you're a healer or a channel or doing any kind of work involving the lives of others. Really asking and praying and opening for the highest good is so important because, you know, of course, our own um, agendas can and even egos can be interference sometimes. And so it's such a beautiful practice to remember whatever mood you're in, whatever's happened in your day the higher purposes that you're wanting to serve. And so thank you for sharing that detail. And then oils, do you pick oils based on intuitive pits or do you pick them connected to um, your intention for individuals like, you know, Jasmine for love and. So I have a special blend of oil that a friend makes. Um, her name is um, Coastside Conjure, and she makes a very special oil too. As I said, my guide is St. Lucy. And so St. Lucy being a patron saint of divination and being able to see, I, I anoint everything with her oil. And it again, it brings that energetic presence of that entity into that reading and into the cards that I work so intimately closely with. Mm, so it's really, really lovely. And um, yeah, that's a really great take because oils are, are plant medicine. And so I love that idea because I haven't done that blend of adding the oils to my cards. So I can't wait to have them <laughs> interactive in the smelly way too. So yes. good. <laughs> so Michael, you, you just download so much wisdom and your intellectual prowess and, and your commitment to continually deepening your studies, which is one of the reasons I, I love your work and really an attribute that I look for in those whom I keep close to me. I'd love for our listeners to get to hear a deep, deep download because you just have so much wisdom. And so I, I had this idea to play Ring Around the Tarot Game where we go back to the quote-unquote European traditional deck and talk about the major arcana types and Perhaps you talk about your perspective on the assets of these archetypes who, as I mentioned earlier, are really just aspects of ourselves and also the peril. So often I hear like, oh, I got this card and they fear a card. And one of the things I love about how skillfully you read is you always have some kind of positive growth edge spin on every card that's not Pollyanna at all. But really, like the the angle that you offer is just, oh, like, wow, I could really pivot and learn and grow in this way because we don't need to fear any cards, right? 
No, um, I think one of the misconceptions of tarot is that there's bad cards, you know, or this card is really bad or like what this message is, is really bad. And I think that the misconception is, again, really rooted in Hollywood's understanding of the cards and what we see on TV and everything. Um, like, you know, like I think some people look at the tower and the tower is usually a very triggering card for people. But what we have to understand about the major arcana, especially, is that these are the major turning points in our lives. And it's one of those things that this energy, even though the energy might be chaotic, we can use chaotic energy for our own personal growth. It's really just about what you do with it. You know, nothing's ever really set in stone. It's just kind of like, all right, this is the energy that you're working with in your life. So what are you going to do to use this energy to your advantage? What are you going to do to use this energy to further your growth and your progress in your journey? So it's never a stopping point. It's always an area for growth. Mm, I love how you put that, like never a stopping point. There's an opportunity for motion because when all great things or birth or transformations happen or alchemies take place, there's a ton of energy. So I love that description as the, as the major arcana cards having energy. So there are 22 of them. And arcana actually means, etymologically speaking, the mysteries, which I love because there's an aspect to it that is synonymous with mystic which yeah. also comes from a root mystery. So I really I love that connection and wanted to highlight that. So why don't I go through these 22 cards? Can we play that game? And yeah, we can play that it. game. Let's play it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the way that these cards, because they, they're associated with a number and numerology and tarot is a whole other faction of tarot and um, numbers play into the card. So I'm going to say the number. So number zero is called the fool. So when we think of the fool, just a little bit from a numerological standpoint, it's zero is nothing. But the fool, when we think of zero, zero is kind of like an egg. Like, you know, it's kind of like either the chicken's egg or it's like, um, how should I say, the egg inside of a woman's ovaries. You know, it's not nothing. Like, you know, in that egg, there's so many realms of possibilities. And what the Fool card is all about is taking that step out into possibilities. Um, the archetype is kind of the Vega bound, and you know he's walking with his satchel, and he's um, his little dog is playing there, and the dog is really happy and joyful. But like if you look closely at the jar, the card, the Vega bound is about to step off a cliff, and so like you know the Fool is always about that new beginning. It's about setting off on a journey with all its possibilities and its perils. And so it's really about taking that leap of faith. And it's really about stepping into that possibility, even though if there's a cliff there and it doesn't seem like you're going to survive that fall, it's about really taking that leap of faith and having that faith in the universe to really enter into possibilities and really to enter into what can be, rather than being afraid of taking the leap. Mm. Oh, I love that interpretation. And Michael, what do you make and do you factor in cards when they're 
reverse quote unquote or upside down because some readers I know don't take that into account. I do and my favorite readers and you're at the top of that list by a lot do. <laughs> it seems like so for um reversed cards um so that was always something that I even struggled with as a new reader and I didn't do it for a long time. But how I see reverse cards depending on how they fall in a reading um sometimes the card is either um is either something that needs to be pointed out, depending on how I feel about it and how it falls in the rest of a reading. It's either just to highlight the card, or sometimes for me, it's even the opposite of the card. And since we're talking about the fool in that negative aspect, um, the fool could also be a type of delusion when it's... um upside down it may be airing you to you know like in this situation it might be good to kind of like not go out with such wild abandon it's probably to be a little bit more prudent about Mm -hmm. um whatever it is the question is or whatever the situation is it might be like you know just don't act so um unthinkingly about this like you know take a step back and really be prudent about what's going on in that situation Mm -hmm. watch for cliffs baby yes (laughs) (laughs) love that (laughs) (laughs) number one the magician so the magician follows right after the fool and the words that come to me for the magician card is always and the word was made flesh from the christian tradition and what the magician does and i love his um pose in the um, writer Wade Smith deck, um, he's pointing up and he's also pointing at the ground, having the hermetic um, law emphasized in this card is as above, so below. And so when we think of as above, so below, what do magicians do? Magicians um, and magic workers and witches, we make the spiritual physical. And so from the spiritual realm of possibility that the fool comes from, we come into the magician. And the magician really makes that spiritual reality palpable. So with we and also if we look at the magician's table, he has all the different suits of the minor arcana. So the magician is all about making that magic possible and that we have all the tools to manifest that spiritual reality into our physical existence. It's just that as it is above, we have to kind of catch it from that spiritual realm and then bring it down to the physical realm through either prayer, through ritual, through um, being mindful about our actions, through planning. You know, it's all about making that idea, that thought, that spiritual reality, something palpable in the material realm. Mm, Fabulous. To the High Priestess. So the High Priestess, um, I love the High Priestess card. It's one of my more favorite cards. And I think (laughs) with the High Priestess, um, I'm going to go back a little bit further to the Tower of Marseille, which this is um, the Papist or the female Pope, um, drawing on the legend of Pope Joan. And the female Pope is very much about the interior knowing. The high priestess is all about that interior knowledge and that interior mystery. She sits um, in front of the Temple of Solomon, 
um, which those of the Jewish tradition will know is the main temple of ancient Judaism, where the presence of God dwelt. And it's really about entering into that sacred temple with inside ourselves. She stands as the gate to those deeper realms of knowing. Um, in the Temple of Solomon was the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies was always veiled, and the priests could only enter there once a year. And that's where God's presence dwelt. And what the high priestess really teaches us is that the divine presence is within us. We are the Holy of Holies. It's just sometimes that we have to pull back that veil into ourselves and go into that darkness and go into that deep darkness in ourselves. And when we see that deep darkness in ourselves, when we go deep and we're not afraid of it, that's where divine light dwells. And it's about really digging deep into those places to find that divinity in ourselves and to find those answers in ourselves um, for ourselves. Gorgeous. The Empress, third, three. The Empress. So the Empress is another one of my favorite cards. I like to call her Beyonce. I was like, mm -hmm. you know, she lives in her best life. But mm -hmm. the Empress is everything that, um, that signifies fertility. That, sim that symbolizes sexuality. When I look at the Empress, I'm always um, called to really call the Corinth to really enter into their own power and really be comfortable in their own skin. Um, I look at her and I see her as this queen. She's the Earth Mother. And it's just like, you know, we get grounded in our own power and we realize our own fierceness in that moment, you know, that we have this power, we have this excellent power to procreate, no, ma no matter if you're male or female, that there's a procreative power in each and every one of us. It's just that we have to work that power and work what we have, like, you know, work what your mama gave you in some situations to really get that moving. Fabulous. Four. The Emperor. And I've heard this card associated for those Western astrology buffs with Aries. So, Zodiac, so the yes. So the Emperor is very much, he's very much the warlord. And I look at the Emperor as law and order. Um, like, you know, I think that the Emperor card for me always signifies um, being able to communicate what you want, being able to be clear about it, and setting down laws and setting down boundaries. Um, if we think of emperors in their historical context, like you know, emperors ruled with an iron fist. And I think that the emperor is really about claiming that power and laying down the law in any situation that might come up in your life and being able to be very firm in that. Mm, so good. Number five, the Hierophant, that I've heard associated with Taurus. So we have the Hierophant, and then we have um, the High Priestess. So these cards are twin cards almost. So we have the High Priestess, who is more about interior knowledge and knowing. And then we have the Hierophant, which represents tradition. He represents um outside knowledge and outside instruction. And, and that is why his image is the Pope with the keys of St. Peter and blessing. And then he has two alkalites at his side coming for extra knowledge. 
And so when I draw the Hierophant, I usually tell people, like, you know, some of the answers in your life are going to come from the spiritualities that you started in, that there's some pearl of wisdom in the traditions that you may have been raised in, but also to seek the advice of other specialists or other experts in the field that they may have um, questions in. Like, you know, it may be a good idea to go talk to a priest or a rabbi about um, said problem or said question, or it may be even good to go seek out the help of a psychologist or somebody who has the know-how to help guide them and help be deepen their understanding of the problem or the question that they might have. So it's a knowledge that's outside of ourselves. It's a wisdom outside of ourselves. And it may be even tradition that sometimes without of, outside of ourselves, but also forms our basis. So fascinating. Now, a question. Mm. Say, just because I love what you said about the quote-unquote twin cards, High Priestess and the Hierophant. So say you got the Hierophant upside down. So I would the, translate that. And I know so, it's specific reading to reading and the cards around it, which is why getting an expert reading is so helpful. But yeah, what's your take on that? So with the Hierophant upside down, I would say that maybe you need to explore a little bit more, especially if the card is really if the question is relating to a type of spirituality. Um, we could see sometimes I see with the Hierophant upside down, I can see a problem with dogma or like, you know, thinking of things very dogmatically. Um, thinking that this is how it has to be because this is what it always has been. And it may be a time to like, you know, shake off some of the religious institutions that we've been raised with or some of the teachings that we've been raised with um, and that things that we've unquestionably accepted from us others. You know, like I think a lot of times with the Hierophant comes upside down, a lot of my um, on my clients, you know, they've either had very overbearing religious parents from multiple traditions and things were just like beat, beat into them. And sometimes I feel it's an invitation to really explore outside of those dogmatic constructs that may have been passed on to them. And just for the listeners who are new to tarot, just the notion that, again, to highlight every archetype lives within you. So like, for example, when I owned a small business, I would get sometimes the emperor card and I think, like, who is like, oh, right. Like you'd say to me, oh, that's you. And I'd be like, what? That's not usually my card, quote unquote. Right. But when you're running a business, that could be your card, even as a woman. Or you might get the high priestess because, you know, you're incredibly brilliant at going to the interior knowledge, right? So for listeners, all these cards are you. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, the lovers often associated with Gemini. So the lovers for me is about duality. And because we talked about in this um, podcast um, about essential unity, what I see the lovers as is about bringing the masculine and the feminine together um, within us. And so these different options, not options, this duality in the universe of masculine and feminine can seem very separate. Um, And in the card, like the man and the woman are very separate. And so I see that this as bringing both those elements within us to bring those energies together. 
and to really use that synergy of the masculine and feminine energy in us to bring something new to birth or bring some energy to birth or bring a newness in our lives. Um, I love this card because it is Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's all about kind of that newness of life and that newness of creation when we bring the masculine and feminine together in that very hermetic way that everything in the world has this masculine and feminine energy within us. And sometimes it's about using those energies constructively and getting very in touch with both of those energies in ourselves that we can move forward. Mm, hair of scamos. <laughs> yeah, it's hair of scamos. <laughs> it's so good, honey. Mm. Okay, seven, the chariot, often associated with cancer in the zodiac. The chariot's a very interesting card because in the chariot, we have a pharaoh and he's driving um, a cart or a chariot um, with two sphinxes. And the chariot is the interesting thing about the chariot that I always like to highlight about the traditional chariot card is that the the pharaoh on the chariot is not driving the chariot. He has no reins. He has no reins. He's completely moving the chariot by his own willpower. And so the chariot for me is always a card of forward motion. But it's also about pushing yourself to move forward. It's like at the end of the day, like, you know, nobody's going to do the work for you. Like, you know, nobody's going to um, motivate you in the way that you motivate yourself to get off your butt and do what needs to be done. So the chariot card for me is always a card about self-motivation and getting the energy and really driving yourself. Um, to get what you need to do done and to really pursue your goals from that place of self-motivation and self-discipline. So fabulous. Really inspiring. Number eight. Now this one, and I'd love you to talk about it a little bit because my understanding is that in the majority of modern deck, it's strength associated with the sign Leo in the Zodiac. But originally it was justice. So often the eighth card is switched from how it was originally with the 11th card. The 11th card is right now in a lot of modern decks, justice associated with Libra. But in old times with strength. So strength and justice are a little interchangeable and it depends who's reading and which cards you're using and the lineage. So do you want to speak to that and then speak how you do it? So when we talk about that switch of the justice card and then um, strength, what I see as in the logic behind that switch was to really kind of keep the energy flow um, smooth when we come to the transition in tarot, because right before strength, we have the lovers, and to have justice there, justice is a very harsh card. Um, and I think that coming from the lovers going into strength is a much better energetic flow um, for the tarot. And of course, that's not always the case in every deck that that's um that's the order. But I feel that in most of tar- modern tarot decks that that's the reason that we have um, that progression from the lovers to strength. And I love that um, the imagery that's behind the lovers card, because not the lovers card, the, the strength card, because it's that imagery of the woman and she's coddling the lion. And when I look at the card of strength, 
it's a card about that you know strength doesn't always come from brute force you know for strength can come from gentleness strength can come from love strength can come from a hug like you know i think we get so enamored in our day-to-day life with that kind of strength comes from violence or strength comes from being a hard ass um you know it's one of those things that i feel that we need to be gentle with ourselves and we need to be gentle with others sometimes to really dig deep into enlisting our own strength in moving forward. Mm, so, so interesting. And in Western astrology, it said that Leo, the lion, is associated with strength. So I wonder if some of the flipping of the order had to do with that or it's just mm-hmm. serendipitous. I love how you talked about strength and that idea of not always brute, but often quiet. Mm. Nine, the hermit often associated with Virgo. So the hermit card, um, the hermit, the imagery is this is a monk and it's a monk from the Christian mystic tradition of going out into the desert and he has his lamp and his staff. And so what the what the hermit does is that he goes out into the wilderness to be alone. And so with that loneliness, he goes out to hear the voice of the divine. And so the lamp is a symbol of that seeking of the divine out in the wilderness. So when the hermit card comes up in a reading for me, for people, I usually tell them, like, you know, like, this is a time to really be alone and be quiet. This is a time to really take a time out to really listen to that interior voice of the divine within you and really take a break from whatever's going on in your life. Like, this might not be a time that, you know, every weekend you go and you hit the bar or, you know, that you're going to um, go out to be with friends all the time. Like, you know, this is a time to really kind of close in on yourself a little bit and take some time to hear that divine voice within you that's otherwise crowded out by just kind of the dealings of everyday life and also the crowding out of multitudes of voices and opinions about certain situations or instances. So it might be a time to take that time out and to really listen to the divine voice that's within you. Mm, Lovely. Number 10, Wheel of Fortune. So I associate the Wheel of Fortune with the biblical verse that um, to everything there is a time, to everything there is a season, to everything there's um, a time to plant, there's a time to reap, there's a time to sow, there's a time for love, and there's a time for war, etc. I really look at the Wheel of Fortune as the turn of the wheel. And I always ask clients... Um, when the Wheel of Fortune comes into playing, it's really about paying attention to what season you're in. Because I tell people, usually, like, you know, if you're in a time of your life where the time and season is winter, this is not a time to really be harvesting. Like, you know, it's a time to really kind of sit back and wait for those seeds to jo- to germinate when s- spring comes. Um, really paying attention to the ebb and flow and energy of their life, that if there's any moves that need to be made or there's any decisions that, that need to be made, that we pay attention and we take stock of the season that we're in in our life's journey. 
Mm, wonderful. Really helpful. Number 11, old school again, strength, new school, <laughs> justice, often associated with Libra. So justice is a no-nonsense card. Um, justice is a card very much about decision-making, and it's about discernment. Um, it's a really about discerning what's going on in our lives and in our certain situations without an emotional attachment. Um, we've talked about a little bit that water in tarot, when we see water, um, that it's a part of emotion. But if you look at the justice card, um, the goddess of justice, she's holding her scales and she's holding her sword. But if we look anywhere in the, in the scene, we don't see any water. There's no emotion. She weighs things exactly as they are. She takes the facts and then she makes a judgment and deals out punishment with her sword depending on what the hardcore evidence is. So this is, uh, the justice card is really a sign for when it comes up to really take a hard look at your life and just kind of say, you know, what needs to stay and what needs to go. Like, you know, it's really about really taking that sword of truth, weighing our options, weighing our decisions, weighing what's going on based on pure facts. It's not about the emotional connection. It's not about um, how you feel about it. It's really about just taking the facts and what's presented to you and making decisions and making discernment from that. Mm, 12, the hanged man. So the hanged man is a very interesting card. And I always love the hanged man when he comes up because he's a, a card of sitting and waiting. Um, most people in the esoteric um, tradition look at the hanged man as being um as he's hanging from a towel which is an ancient symbol for predating the christian cross but the hanged man it's like you know he's almost there and it seems like he's being tortured by um the situation he's in being hung by one leg but as you look at his face he's so serene and he's so comfortable in his predicament. And so many times when the hanged man comes up in tarot for people, it's usually at a time that they feel stuck. And I always say to people, you know, this time of saying, be feeling stuck is a blessing because it's actually giving you time to sit and reevaluate. And the hanged man, he sees the world from a new perspective. He sees the world from being hung upside down. And so it's sometimes it's about being, we may feel like stuck, but really, it's just about seeing our predicaments and our situations from a different perspective. Mm, lovely. 13, death, often associated with Scorpio. My, my um, Zodiac card. Um, the death card. Uh, this is one of those cards that really triggers people. And I feel that the death card is one of the most um, beautiful card. Because the death card um, is really symbolizes death but it's an ending it's an ending of something in our life or an energy or a situation on our relationship but that ending is only for um new growth what i love about the death card is is that it has death on his horse and you see the pope and you see the different people on the ground confronting death 
but in the background of the death card really is that sunrise. And so it's that things may end in our lives and certain cycles may um, run their course and we come to the end of a cycle and we have to let go of whatever happened um, in the beginning of that cycle, in the midst of that cycle. But it's just to allow for a new sunrise, a new beginning, and a new birth to happen for us. Um, one of the decks I have is a Santa Muerte um, tarot. And what I love about the death card in that tarot is that the figure representing holy death, um, she's pregnant. So even though she offers that ending, at the same time, there's that possibility of new birth and new beginnings after that ending. And that's why it's so interesting to look at different decks and which visuals really resonate with you because they really can vary so much. One of my favorite decks is the Mother Peace deck. Do you know mm -hmm. that? Like, I've heard level. of it, yes. It's a beautiful deck. It's very feminine centered. The cards are actually round, which I love working mm -hmm. with. And she has interpretations if they are a little angled right or a little angled left in addition to the upside down positioning. So I'll put that in the show notes too. But um, she's got really beautiful and, and I find really soft, unintimidating yes. interpretations and yet very potent and laser sharp. Beautiful. And thank you for elucidating the death card. Those two, Hangman and Death, I feel like are ones that people go, ah, and you always put them beautifully. 14 temperance often associated with sagittarius so when i look at temperance temperance is a card that i actually really love because temperance it has the angel of temperance and then he's um pouring um two different mixtures one cup into the other cup and my key word for temperance is alchemy um the the card temperance is a card of really alchemy and what did the ancient alchemists try to do the big um journey for the alchemist was one of being able to turn lead into gold finding the sorcerer's stone and so really temperance card for me is when we bring everything into balance in our lives and we bring that synergy together we can turn that lead into gold into our life and we can make that alchemy happen you know bringing things together that are very opposite in our lives that we can transmute them into something really beautiful and something that's worth living mm. wow that's a phenomenal interpretation 15 the devil often associated with capricorn the devil one of my other favorite cards of the tarot that other people get so spooked out about. But the devil card for me, especially in traditional tarot, um, we have um, the symbol of the Baphomet um, at the center of the card representing um, this Satan or the devil or the Christian devil. And at his um, right and left, what's interesting is we have a throwback to the lover's card. We have Adam and Eve um, held by the devil. And so when we look at the devil card, the devil card so for many times can mean, you know, there's certain things in our lives that we feel stuck, whether it be an addiction, whether it be some type of abuse, whether it be something that we feel ruins the quality of our life in any type of way. But the beauty of the card is, is that we look at Adam and Eve and they're shackled. But if we look at the shackles, they can remove those shackles at any time. They don't have to stay 
they don't have to stay bound. And so it's really a call to us that, you know, some of the situations that we have in our lives that we feel stuck almost like we sold our souls to the devil is that, you know, with a little bit of work, excuse me, a little bit of work, we can, um, we can very much, um, free ourselves from those situations if we're willing to put in that work and to take those shackles off ourselves. And that is very possible. My other favorite thing about the devil card is that the devil card can be can be a invitation to kind of explore the wilder side of life or those things that may have been seen taught to us to be a little taboo that the devil can really be a call to walk a little bit on the wild side if um depending on what the cards around it are really um elucidating to really interesting <laughs> 16 the tower the tower um again another triggering card so we look at the archetype of the tower card and the symbol that we have for the tower is the tower of babel from the Bible, which if you remember that Bible story, it's um, that a king, a certain king wanted to build a tower all the way up to the heavens. And then um, basically in his hubris, um, the divine knocked that tower down and then confused everybody's languages. And so when I look at the tower, I look at the towers that we build in our own lives. And sometimes we build these towers and we build these trajectories that aren't for our highest good and they're not for our benefit. And we live in these towers and we build them so much and we get the warning signs in our lives that, you know, this isn't good. This isn't working for you. This isn't um, what you should be working for. And there's just such a point within our energetic trajectory that sometimes the universe is just like, I had enough. Like, this isn't for you. And so the universe basically has everything come tumbling down on you so that you can build, rebuild from there. And so the tower card is a card of destruction, or it may feel that everything's falling on top of you. But know that the tower card always has the promise of rebuilding. And it always has a car a promise of like you know that what you had wasn't necessarily for your highest good. And now we want you to start over from scratch to really get to a place where you're in a better situation. Awesome. 17, the star, often associated with Aquarius. I love the star card because the star card is all about hope. When I think of the star card, what comes to my mind is the, I, the concept of Stella Maris or the star of the sea. And so what is the star of the sea? And the star of the sea is a star that guides us home. So we come to the star right after the devastation of the tower of the tower card. And so the tower has been knocked down. The tower has been destroyed. We're feeling desolate. We're feeling in, in lost in the sauce, so to say. And, um, you know, out of the darkness comes the star to guide us home. So the star is all about that silver lining. The star is all about finding that hope in the midst of a dark and dank situation. And the star always drives us home. It always reorients us to true north and always gets us back on the right path. 
True North, I love that. <laughs> 18, the moon, Pisces. So when I look at the moon card, I always think first with the moon that the moon is always the sign to listen to our intuition. And the moon card in the traditional tarot is a very ominous looking card. It's like, you know, we got some wolves on the side there and they're howling at the moon. And then we have the lobster coming out, out of the out of kind of the muck and the grime there in the river. But for me, the moon card is all about paying attention to our intuition in situations and not really shuffling aside our intuition in situations. Because like I always say to clients when they get this card, if, when Beyonce says in her song, if it don't feel right, it ain't right. Like, you know, really listen to that. Listen to that interior voice and listen to that intuition of your inner knowing in these situations. Another part of the moon card, which I really love, is that moon phase dimension of the card, that this card may be really calling us to pay attention to the phases of the moon or how we're feeling in certain aspects of the moon phases. And even in a very special way, I think for women in this card is even paying attention to your menstrual cycle and really getting in touch with the inner bodily ebb and flow. And even for men, because we go through our own unique cycles in our own bodies, really paying attention to those unique cycles that are going on within our body and how they react to the phases of the moon or the seasons and being really in tune with that and knowing also. So, so fabulous. I'm just all about that and always talking and teaching about that. So thank you for mentioning that entrainment with nature as a, as a deep anchoring force and guide. The sun, 19... So the sun comes right after the moon, and the sun, where everything in the moon card was veiled in a type of mystery, um, the, the sun card is everything is made known. So this, the sun card can be both a good and a bad card, um, especially coming right after the moon, where we're working in kind of shadows and mystery. So the sun card is everything will be revealed, that the truth will be known, will have joy, will have exuberance, will have energy. But at the same time, the sun card can also mean, you know, if you're up to some shady stuff, like, you know, and you want it to be led secret, the sun card can be, well, this is all going to come to light eventually. It's really kind of that understanding of that if we're living in truth and we're living in our best life and we're living in a way that's honorable, we're going to live in joy. We're going to live in that joy of the sun and not having to slink in the shadows. But if we're working on a side that's really shady and we're not working toward our highest good, or the good of others around us, that those falsehoods are going to come to life, light, and that's going to be revealed also. Fabulous. 20, Judgment. So Judgment is a beautiful card, and I love Judgment because Judgment, the archetype in this, is from the Book of Revelations, and it's the dead rising to new life at the end of the world. And I always love judgment card, the judgment card, because it always talks about new birth and it's always talking about an awakening. And it's the Archangel Gabriel and he's blowing his horn and the people are waking up from their sleep. They're waking up from their death. And I feel that this is for us 
when the judgment part comes up, it's that we're ready for that newness. We're ready for that awakening. The angels and the spirit guides and our ancestors are blowing those horns and they're saying, wake up. This is a time for you for newness in your life. It's time to wake up from sleep. It's time to wake up from the dead. And that's available to you. That newness and that excitement are all available to you if you take a hold of it. (laughs) Wonderful. Last one, 21, the world. So the world card is all about um, completion. And we, when we look at the world card, the archetype in this is Sophia or Holy Wisdom. So after we've embarked on this journey of the fool, um, the world card really indicates a type of completion. It's an end of the journey. It's kind of like the victory. And it's also... The world card is also a type of rebirth coming right after judgment. It's really the fruits of our rebirth. We're really crowned with the fruits of our labor, the fruits of our rebirth, and we're reaping of those of those fruits. But the other glorious thing about the world is even though it is an ending, it's not really an ending because then we just reverberate back to the full. So even though we have this completion, it's that we are coming to this complete end of the cycle in a certain way that we, so that we can restart again on this journey. Lovely. Wow. That was a lot. What a profound Dharma download of information that the listeners will be able to rewind and take notes on and have for eternity as a wealth and encyclopedia of knowledge. Thank you. Can you talk us through a three card spread? So when someone picks three cards and how you do that, please. So how I do a three card spread is that I usually draw three cards from left to right. And the first card would be the card of past energies. And so either these are influences of the past that either hinder us or help us. So depending on what card comes up in that place, it's a card that either hinders us or helps us in the present moment. The middle card is always the card of where we are now. And so depending on that flow of the past energies, we can identify what it is that's either helping us or hindering us in this present moment. When we get to the third card, which I like to call our trajectory or where we're headed, um, we can use that card to say, to give us some clues to like, where is our path going? Where are we headed if we continue in the present space that we're on now? And so knowing those informations of the past energies in the present um, space that we're in, we can either continue on on the trajectory that we're going in, or we can take the proper methods and the proper steps to kind of bend that trajectory or change that trajectory completely if it's not the way that we would like to go further. Mm, So we can do this by either asking a specific topic or thinking or focusing on something, or we can ask for just any, you know, hey, what's wisdom for today? Can you talk a little bit about different ways we can think about it, especially those who are new? Yes. I think um, for those who are new, sometimes I know this is true for me and it might be true for a lot of the listeners. Um, It helps me when I do a three card spread to do to have a question in mind. Um, It's just easier for me to pinpoint the energies and everything that's being centered. But I think drawing from that wisdom or just kind of even knowing what is it that I need to work on today? 
what is it that I need to focus on today without having such a necessary pinpointed question can also give us a lot of insight about where we need the trajectory of our days going, what energy may have followed from the past day. Like, you know, maybe you had a difficult time with your boss or a coworker, and that might show up in a card or something happened and you just want some more insight on that past energy and how it can affect the rest of the day or the week. I think that having a more free form question or even just being open to what messages come can be very helpful in that way. Mm, Yeah, because tarot work and wisdom really can offer us themes and concrete lessons and energies to focus on cultivating within our lives and in such a beautiful way you describe that. Thank you. I'd love to talk a tiny bit as we wrap up about numerology. I've heard that through the lens of tarot, we can be offered a theme collectively each year based on the the cards of the major arcana that you just spoke about by working with the digits. Do you do that? Have you heard of this? I have a friend who does it. I don't personally do um, the birth cards and the cards of the year. That's not a part of my practice. But I do know a lot of people who take into account the astrological um, parts of the cards and even your birth year to kind of see where you are um, in that process. It's funny, I just had a reading from a friend and he gave me my um, year for 2020 and I was in the year of justice. So I definitely know that that's an aspect of exploration and probably an aspect of exploration that I should explore and learn more about also in my tarot studies. Really interesting. It's just been the last few years I've been exploring this. We just entered right now in time-space reality 2021. So depending upon when you're listening to this, you can do the math yourself. But like the collective theme card of this year, what you do, listeners, is you take two plus zero plus two plus one, right? All the numbers in 2021, which is equivalent to five, which would be the hierophant. Um, so you can go back and listen to what Michael said about that uh, collectively, um, but it's something to to chew on or whichever you're, you're listening to. Also, the whole idea of your soul card, which is really interesting. You know, it's very similar. You take the month of your birth and then the the date and then the year. So like if you were born October 1st, 1983, you take 10 plus one, right? 10 for October one. And then you'd add one plus nine plus eight plus three, which would be 32. And then whenever you get two digits, you actually add those two digits together. So they would equal five, which is also the Hierophant. (laughs) (laughs) And you can your birthday, like that example, October 1st, but add this year to it. So you take 10, one, and then you'd add this year, two plus zero plus two plus one, equaling 16. So that would be like, the card for this year in 2021, if your birthday was on October 1st. So yes. just a little, a little, a little numerological trivia <laughs> <laughs> in my own practice, like really relevant. And it's sort of blown my mind the last couple of years uh, in that way. And another way we can learn and live with the cards and see what they reflect to back to us. Cause certainly my card last year, the emperor, it was real. <laughs> and I got to know, emperor is <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you as as we close are there any parting words you could offer our listeners in the way of things you wish someone told you when you were newer to 
reading cards or folks trying to build their inner noses and intuition because all experts, right? Like anything anyone's an expert in, you hear often say, oh, someone had taught me that like when I was first starting, that would have been so awesome and helpful. So what would any be little last parting nuggets, please? So my last parting words um, here would be really trust yourself and really trust your intuition. Don't second guess yourself. If you receive a message, um, go with it. Like, you know, go with your first mind, go with um, what you're feeling and what your intuition's telling you and really just lay back and have fun with it. I wish somebody had told me that when I was starting out and I may have not have been so um so strenuous about it and stressed about it for so long um this is supposed to be an enjoyable process it's supposed to be a process that can be fun it can be a process that can be so healing if we just allow it to flow and we just allow ourselves to really lean into it so really trust yourself and also be gentle and easy with yourself as you're embarking on this journey Mm, what a benediction. Well, Michael, this has been a fascinating conversation, which I know for sure is sparking interest in many folks and fanning the flames of deepening tarot passion for those who already read tarot as well as newbies. Where can folks find out about you and your illuminative work? If your listeners are here on Instagram, they can add me as saintly tarot mystic they can also find me online at my website sacred eyes tarot dot um and those are the two areas that you'll be most likely to find me and get in contact with me wonderful michael has so generously offered the amazing discount to all my Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash modern mystic love, a free three card reading and Oracle pull through email to my donors at the five and $10 a month level and a 30 minute tarot session for half off. That's only $15 to my folks who donate monthly at the 30 and level. So thank you so much for that. Check that out, everyone. Well, a mystic knows that spirit speaks to us in signs and symbols and really can do so through any medium. And tarot is just that, a potent medium or embodied structure that is illuminated by this tarot architecture. And so, Michael, thank you so much for being on the Modern Mystic podcast and for your true eloquence, deep wisdom, and profound insight. Thank you so much for inviting me today. I had such a great time today discussing tarot and really scratching the surface of these mysteries with you today. It was such an excellent conversation. Mm -hmm. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please write me a review on whichever platform you are listening. Also, check out my exciting Patreon page at patreon.com slash modernmysticlove, where I offer all sorts of uplifting yoga classes, meditation classes, and other amazing offerings from my guests on this podcast to all my incredible supporters. Even folks who donate at the $5 a month level are so appreciated 
as every cent helps this busy mama of three. Or check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can purchase yoga videos of all levels with me, ranging from gentle yoga up through advanced asana, and also meditation videos there. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste.